welcome to the Heavy Lifting Podcast with Ravi Lula. I really appreciate you joining me today. Uh, we've got kind of a little bit of a different show today. Uh, just a few hodgepodge things that I've had on my mind that I wanted to get to. No guests today, just just me and some of my thoughts. Uh, we do have a Husker bye week, so no games to preview or anything like that. And that's probably a good thing. I do have some thoughts on what's been going on with Nebraska, so we'll get to the get to those. I do have some college football picks I want to share with you this week. Uh, I also, <laughs> I've got a, I've got a guess I guess fun little activity that I want to do. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Mike Leach went through a list of the Pac-12 mascots and kind of went through with the media who would win in a fight. And it reminded me of this exercise I <laughs> I used to do when I was filling out my bracket. Uh, I would fill out multiple brackets back in the day and uh, for March Madness. And one of the ways that I decided to fill out a bracket was by deciding which mascots would win in a fight. And I had a, I had a specific ranking system for, uh, for this purpose. And I'll explain that when I get into it. But I wanted to go through the Big Ten mascots and decide who would win in a fight and who would be the ultimate champion of a Big 12 Royal Rumble or a Battle Royale. So uh, I've got that coming up for you today. If we've got time, I do also have another fun college football uh, topic I want to get to. Uh, basically, since it's, ha- it's getting close to Halloween, there is a uh, Frankenstein college football program that I want to put together. Basically what I mean, I'm going to take the best parts of different college football teams across the country and form a Frankenstein college football program with uh, to be the best program I can put together. So I'm going to go through that as well and a couple other topics for you. But those are the main ones that I'm going to get to here today. Uh, and we'll start off with my Husker takes and the picks and then we'll get to the a little bit sillier stuff on the other side uh, of our first break. So, as far as Nebraska is concerned, it, it's one of those things where it feels like there's no progress being made, right? And that's the frustrating part of what's happening uh, with this season. It felt last year, you start off 0-6, you finish 4-2, you could feel something building, right? And this year, it's been up and down across the season, feels like maybe there's been some regression at key positions, specifically Adrian Martinez. Uh, Mo, uh, Maurice Washington hasn't been the player that he was last year, whether it's because of off-the-field stuff, injuries, whatever the case may be. The offensive line ta- has taken a huge step back. It looked like this defense had made some some real progress from last year. And then, you know, 34 points against Minnesota. Could have been much worse. 48 points against... Uh, Ohio State, and you wonder if that's starting to regress as well. So I think there's a lot of frustration in that sense in the program, and I get it. Believe me, I do. And everybody wants an answer. Everybody wants some sort of reason why this is happening, and they want a solution on how to fix it and to make sure it's going to get better. And I don't have that. I don't think anybody does, frankly. What I do have is just some observations that I've seen and heard from other media members talking. And one of the things that's come up over and over again was that just maybe the, maybe the program was in worse shape than everyone thought. And everyone realized at the time 
of Scott Frost taking over. And, and I think that's true to a certain extent. And I also think, you know, I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago with the talent deficiency or perceived talent deficiency on the roster. Really, I think they've gotten talented guys in the door. They've done a very poor job of developing them. And so by the time they're sophomores and juniors, they're not any better than when they were freshmen. And when that happens and everybody else is developing, then your juniors get their butt kicked, their butts kicked by Minnesota or Iowa or Wisconsin or Ohio State juniors. So that's part of the issue there. It's just the development in the program has been so bad for so long that even while bringing in pretty solid recruiting classes, it really hasn't worked out. The other thing that has been a big issue is the attrition. Uh, obviously in the switch from Mike Riley to Scott Frost, Maybe even if it wasn't immediate, there was quite a bit of attrition, both in the recruiting class and players already on campus, in terms of who stuck around, who was a good fit for Coach Frost's offense, and everything like that. So there is, even though the class itself was pretty solid, a couple of those classes were pretty solid for Mike Riley, a lot of those players never saw the field or never saw significant playing time for Nebraska. And obviously that is an effect that you're seeing now, where this class of, you know, classes of 16 and classes of 17 would be you know, juniors, redshirt sophomores, somewhere in that range, and they would be the guys that you should be counting on in terms of uh, leading your team to victories, and that's not what Nebraska has right now. There's been some theories tossed out there that Scott Frost has kind of just taken it on the chin this year in order to preserve some of those redshirts of the players that he does like that he's brought in the last year, and I could maybe understand that. He probably has more job security than anyone in the country not named Nick Saban, and you know, he might even have more than Saban because if Saban goes four and eight a couple years in a row, I bet they start talking in Tuscaloosa. Whereas Frost, just because of who he is and how he came to get this job and his history with Nebraska, he's going to have about as long of a leash as anybody's ever going to have. And so maybe he knows that. And maybe he's just taking it on the chin and, and saying, hey, these guys are going to be better if we redshirt them. I, I would be surprised if we don't start seeing a few of those guys in these last handful of games over the course of the season as Nebraska finishes out 2019. But it might be one of those things where he's looking at the long-term picture and said, hey, I'm going to sacrifice a potential win or two in 2019 to get those, you know, to get maybe two or three more in 2020. And I get that. I really do. I'm the guy that said that I think it would be bad for Nebraska to go 10-2 and this year just from the sheer standpoint of that would blow the expectations out of the water. If anything... I think going 6 and 6 is maybe what is best for this team just in terms of if you're able to preserve those red shirts and and hopefully hopefully this staff can develop players the way you need to in order to compete in the Big 10 you've got that intact as well as you've kept the the expectations and hype for the team more or less intact and in check rather than if you go 9 and 3 10 and 2 Nebraska fans have a tendency to just keep escalating ex- expectations. Whereas you, if you take baby steps every year, you go four and eight, you go six and six, you go eight and four. You know, then you're in year four. You've got four of your recruiting classes in the door, four years of your development and your system. Then you've got a shot to meet those expectations to go ten and two and or eleven and one and and possibly win a Big Ten title. But that's four and five years down the road. That to me is 
the healthiest way to build the program. Now, don't get me wrong. If you said, hey, Coach Frost, here's 10 wins this year, I'm sure he would take them. But for the long-term expectations and hype of the program, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if they can sneak into a bowl game and not have the expectations be through the roof again next year, kind of like they were this year coming off a 4-8 and eight season, uh, frankly. And I bought into the hype, too. Now, I do think a lot of that hype came from the coaching staff themselves, as a lot of uh, local programming has uh, on the radio this week has has pointed out. So, and I think that's fair. But I think if you go six and six this year, you get the extra practices, you get the bowl game. I think that might be the best thing long term for this program. Now, maybe I'm just talking myself into it and <laughs> trying to make myself feel better about the way they've played this year. That's entirely possible too. But I, I think there is a silver lining to this situation if you're Nebraska. Um, One thing I did want to address on Adrian Martinez, while I have advocated for the fact that he's not playing well, and I've even advocated for the fact that he get pulled for a series or two for Vedral, I I define being pulled and being benched very differently, right? If you're pulled from a game, it means you sit a series or two, see what's going on, get a chance to catch your breath and calm down. If you're benched, that means you're no longer the starter. I would not have been opposed to Adrian Martinez being pulled in the Ohio State game after he threw three interceptions in four possessions. That seems reasonable to me to let a guy collect himself. Uh, I'm not in favor, and never have been in favor, of Adrian Martinez being benched. Um, So I wanted to make that clear. And I know that there's been a lot of talk about Scott Frost being pulled in a game his senior year in favor of, I believe it was Frankie London at the time, and Frankie London goes down the field, scores a touchdown, and the fans boo Frost as he's coming back on the field. I think we talked about this with Alex. But you know what? It worked. And now Scott Frost might disagree with why it worked the rest of the season, but Scott Frost went out, had a great season. Most people view that as a turning point in that season, and they won a national title. So maybe it's not the worst thing in the world, even if someone doesn't like it at the time. And I I continue to wonder if that is an issue in terms of things that Frost has been dealing with with Adrian Martinez. If that's in the back of his mind and he doesn't want to put his quarterback through that, Maybe that's the case, or maybe he just knows, hey, this year is going to be some more growing pains. We're going to try and squeeze out six wins and get to that bowl game, and we'll continue to build this thing slowly but surely moving forward. That those are all possible. Uh, those are all possible uh, scenarios that I can see, and you know, those make sense. I'm okay with that. The last thing I wanted to say about Nebraska was, I think, and I could be wrong on this, but I think. There hasn't been much talk about the idea that maybe Scott Frost should give up the maybe give up the play calling if he's trying to I mean he needs to be the guy that's building the culture and building the the type of players, the type of team that he wants to be, right? And to me it's one of those things where maybe he doesn't need to be calling plays as well. Maybe he needs to bring someone in to do that for him because I think the job is bigger in terms of building the culture than maybe he realized. And that's something to me that he you know would make sense. You're going from a, a, a group of five school in UCF where you were able to do both You've got much bigger expectations, a much bigger program, and just a bigger profile now. 
maybe you have more on your plate than you did at UCF and, and you need to give up the play calling. Now, I'm sure that's going to be hard for not just Scott Frost, but some other people as well, especially fans around the state, because you bring in Scott Frost in theory to help run the offense. He can help build and design and run the offense without being the one that physically calls the plays on Saturday and makes the game plan. That can be someone else's job. If you look at the structure up in Oregon, um, Chip Kelly had a had an offensive coordinator. Um, Mark Helfrich had an offensive coordinator. It was Scott Frost. And while those guys may have still called some of the plays, it seemed as though they handed the reins over a little bit to their offensive coordinators in order to help make things work up there. That's just an idea. It's just a thought that I had. I haven't heard anybody else talk about that, so it'll be interesting to see if that's something that gets considered in the off season, as well as perhaps some coaching, uh, some maybe some coaching switch ups as well. I know people have talked about if the defense continues to struggle, maybe Eric Trenander's on the hot seat. If the wide receivers and offense continues to struggle, maybe Troy Walters is on the hot seat. Um, those are some things to look at. Uh, but that, that's all I have on Nebraska for you today. Uh, as far as my college football picks, the three games, excuse me, four games that I like, I like Oklahoma State, minus four and a half. I like Boise, minus seven. I like Florida, minus five. And I like Cal, minus ten and a half. Now those games, I haven't really picked much lately. I took last week off. The week before, I only liked one game. Honestly, those are... Uh, I feel pretty good. I was feeling pretty good after I hit my five-team parlay uh, a couple weeks ago. And so I've just kind of been taking it easy. But those are games I like. Cal is 10.5-point favorites at home against Oregon State. Oregon State's a really bad football team. And uh, Cal's been pretty good. And they've had some uh, pretty good wins on the season. So I like them. Uh, In terms of Oklahoma State, they're doing that thing again where they're an unranked home favorite against a ranked uh, a ranked opponent, and that has paid off for me a couple times when I've played it this season. That's a trend that hits quite a bit, so I'm going Oklahoma State again there. And Florida, I really think that they're in a position. I was impressed. I know they lost to LSU, but I was impressed against their win against Florida. I think South Carolina is going to be uh, kind of on a letdown game after upsetting Georgia last week. I don't know how they could possibly uh, live up to that hype. I think Florida's looking to bounce back after that loss to LSU. I like Florida minus five there. And then uh, Boise is on the road against BYU. BYU is not very good. And uh, that's that's about all the analysis I have on that one. BYU is not very good. And they've struggled. They lost to US, uh, USF uh, last week. They've lost to Toledo. They randomly beat USC, which I still can't figure out. But their other only other win is against Tennessee, and Tennessee's really bad as well. So, um, And it looks like USC might not be that good either, frankly. So I'm going with uh, B, uh, excuse me, yeah, Boise State there, minus 7 over BYU. Those are my four picks for the week. Again, that's Oklahoma State, minus 4.5, Boise, minus 7, Florida, minus 5, and Cal, Minus ten and a half. We will get to, I know what you're all waiting for, the mascot fights, rankings, bracket, whatever you want to call it. We're going to go through who would win a fight amongst all the Big Ten mascots. But first, 
a word from our friends over at Fruitful Design. Thank you to Fruitful Design for supporting the Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula podcast. Fruitful Design helps businesses and nonprofits be, well, fruitful with top shelf design and strategy. Whether you need a logo, website, or anything else to promote your business, which I needed all of, Fruitful Design can help you grow. They helped me set up my website for Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula and were quick, friendly, and professional. Check Fruitful out online at www.fruitful.design. Once again, that's www.fruitful.design. All right, welcome back, and I'm excited for this next little segment that we have for you here. It's the mascot fights amongst the Big Ten schools. And let me tell you how uh, how the rankings kind of go, how, how I'm deciding who wins these fights, right? So when I was doing March Madness picks and was doing them by which mascots would win in a fight, you kind of have to have a, a selection system in order to do it fairly and not bias yourself with teams that you think are going to win or that you want to win. So you've got kind of a more objective system to measure these things by. And this is this is the system I came up with. Lowest person on the totem pole, lowest mascot on the to- totem pole, is inanimate objects. Take the Stanford tree, for instance. That's an inanimate object, hard to win a fight, okay? So, stuff like that, bottom of the list. Number two, or second from the bottom, is animals without teeth. And when I say without teeth, I just mean non-fierce animals. So, for instance, lion, tigers, bears, those are animals with teeth. Uh, Terrapins, for instance animal without teeth that kind of makes sense a gopher has teeth not scary that that's going to go on the non-menacing animal list all right number three is going to be your animals your animals with teeth your menacing animals whether it's your your wolverines your nittany lions your wildcats those are all going to be in your menacing animal category all right now, on the same playing field, these are menacing animals on the same playing field with humans without guns or weapons. Alright, so a human with their bare hands against the animal without teeth are on the same playing field. Alright, so I have to come up with another way to break those ties. And then above, every, uh, above those, above that level, is humans with weapons. Guns, swords, bazookas, whatever. Humans with weapons, they're on the next level up. And then the final and highest category is supernatural forces. We're talking your uh, supernatural forces and acts of God, I should say. So you're talking your hurricanes, you're talking your uh, demon deacons, demons, supernatural forces, your blue devils, supernatural force, um... Golden Hurricane, if you're Tulsa, that counts. Cyclones would count here. Uh, that would be a, a, an act of God of, or nature type thing. So that's the more or less the ranking system that we're going off of here. All right. So let me just toss a few out right away for the, uh, for the Big Ten. Buckeyes, I'm sorry. You're a small brown nut. You're out of here. No more Buckeyes. You're off the list. Okay. That's our only... I mean, that's one of two possible inanimate objects, right? Your boiler makers, you've got both the train, 
or you've got your uh, Purdue Pete, Petey, Pablo, Purdue, I don't know his name, uh, the guy with the hat, whatever, who is pretty jacked but doesn't appear to have a weapon. He's an engineer, so I'm going to go with the engineer here just to keep him alive a little bit longer. Um, but he's going in the in the guys without guns category because, you know, engineer doesn't really usually carry a weapon. All right, so Buckeyes, we're gone. Now we go on to animals that are not fierce or don't have teeth. And now some of these will have teeth, but you know what I mean there. Menacing animals. Terrapins, you're gone. I'm sorry. Uh, golden gophers, out of here. I'm sure there's some mean gophers out there. I haven't ran across any. Your mascot looks a little too friendly on the logo. You're gone, Golden Gophers. Now, this is a tougher omission, but Hawkeyes, you're gone. Not a menacing animal, not large enough to scare me. You don't have menacing teeth, ferocious teeth in the normal way. You could peck me, I guess. But uh, we're going, we're, we're, we're cutting Hawkeyes off the list right here. All right, that was a tough cut, but that's where we landed. Next up. We're taking out the Hoosiers, all right? That That's basically just a person from Indiana, as far as I can tell. And while people from Indiana may have guns or weapons, they're not specified in their mascot as having guns or weapon. Every time I think of Hoosiers, I just think of one of the basketball players in the candy-striped uh, warm-up pants. You're losing a fight to a Badger or a Wolverine. I'm sorry, my guy. Hoosiers are out. Speaking of badgers, I get that they're mean, but they're fairly small. And while they might be somewhat ferocious, their size is a severe limiting factor. All right, so the badgers are out. That leaves us so far with the Boilermakers, the Wildcats, the Cornhuskers, the Fighting Illini, the Scarlet Knights, the Nittany Lions, the Spartans, and the Wolverines. All right, now we're starting to get down to the nitty-gritty after the next couple cuts here. Now, this one hurts me a little bit, but Fighting Illini, their mascot was taken away from them by the NCAA. All right, so technically not existing is a tough look for my guys, so they're off the list. All right, I get I could go all the way back, but in the most literal sense, they do not have a mascot anymore. They just have a nickname. So... We're out of here with the Fighting Illini. I'm sorry. Alright, next up, we do have to get rid of the Boilermakers. As I mentioned, they're engineers. Engineers are usually pretty nerdy. So while Petey Pablo Purdue is pretty yoked up, I don't think he's carrying a weapon. I think he loses a fight to an animal with teeth or a guy with a weapon. So Boilermakers, we are out of here. Next up we have your wildcats and your nittany lions okay so this is where it gets kind of tricky because essentially large cats large animal or uh, large large wild felines you know to me that's more or less the same thing i don't i don't really know i don't really have a big distinction about what a wildcat is versus you know a a a nittany lion to be honest i don't 100 percent know what indicates a nittany lion in terms of of you know 
what makes him different from a regular lion? I, I'm not sure here. So you know, that's a tough one for me. Now, I think I'm going with the Wildcat on the chopping block first. And here's why. Nittany Lions, Lions are generally the king of the jungle. So even though I'm not 100% sure what the Nittany part is, and I'm not going to look it up because I don't want to, you know, we're going with we're going with the Nittany Lions there. King of the jungle beats the Wildcat. All right? You know what the King of the Jungle does not beat cuz he's crazy is a Wolverine. Wolverines are nuts, all right? They're crazy. They're a lot bigger than you think. And they're terribly, terribly mean. So the Wolverine is taking out the Nittany Lion. So here's where we stand. All right? We've got Wolverines, Spartans, Scarlet Knights, and Cornhuskers. All right? So that's our big final four for mascot fights. And this is where it gets kind of dicey, all right? Now, the Wolverines are getting chopped here for a couple of reasons. Number one, Spartans and Scarlet Knights, those guys have swords, okay? They've got body armor. I like their chances against a Wolverine. They might get bloodied up a little bit, but I think they come out on top. Now, we've got Spartans, Nittany Lions, and Cornhuskers. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, what are the Cornhuskers doing in there? And let me just explain this to you. If you've ever met a farmer in Nebraska, they've got a gun. 100%, no doubt. It's probably in a shotgun rack in the back of their truck, and then they probably have half an armory in their house, all right? The Cornhuskers are packing heat, and I don't want to hear another word about it. For that reason, the Cornhuskers are going to take out both the Scarlet Knights and the Spartans because you don't bring a knife, or in this case a sword, which is really just a big knife, to a gunfight. My Cornhusker, my farmer guy, you know he's got that shotgun. He has taken them both out. And for that reason, the Cornhuskers are your Big Ten mascot fighting champions. All right? Them's the rules. I obeyed the own, my own ridiculous rules that I set out. But if you have any problems with that, you have some logic that maybe I'm overlooking, come hit me up. You can find me on Facebook, Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula, on Twitter, at R-A-Lula, that's L-U-L-L-A. Or you can come to the website, RaviLulaRadio.com, and drop me a comment there as well. But your Cornhuskers are your ultimate Big Ten mascot fighting champions. And I feel good about that decision. I really do. I feel like Nebraskans needed a win, and I'm happy to provide that for them. And uh, I don't feel like I I don't feel like I tilted the tables in their uh, in their favor at all. I just think I did the right thing, and I followed the logic that was set out before uh, the fights commenced. And uh, I think it's hard to argue with the result of those. All right, we're gonna take another quick break, and on the other side. We're going to get into your Frankenstein college football program. Hey, everybody. I wanted to tell you about my friend Janae at Creative Hair Design. She is simply the best in the business. Whether you need men's haircut and beard trim like I get once every three weeks, or if you need women's cut, hair color, or extensions, Janae will take care of you. 
I went in and got my hair cut and beard trimmed literally the day before my wedding, and Janae had me looking my very best for my big day. And she'll do the same for you. Give Janae a call at Creative Hair Design at 402-330-5660 to schedule an appointment. Again, that's Janae at Creative Hair Design, 402-330-5660. I promise you will not regret it. All right, next up, we're going to do a little exercise called Frankenstein College Football Program. And basically what I'm going to do here is I'm going to pick the best parts of five different categories of college football teams, and I'm going to put them all together to make one super team, super college football program, all right? And I got this idea. One of the local guys was doing this for, I think uh, maybe Nick Ball was doing this. Somebody asked him this question on college basketball, Bill of Frankenstein College Basketball Program. I was like, well, we're in Nebraska. It's football season. Let's do one for college football too. So that's what I'm here. Uh, that's what I'm here doing, and we're going to uh, kind of explain what, what this is. So the, the five the five things that I'm measuring on are location, history, facilities, fan base, and uniforms. Now, uniforms might seem stupid, but part of the reason I like Florida State is because when I was a kid, their uniforms looked super cool on TV, and that really stuck with me. Now, maybe that just makes me kind of like a diva wide receiver and I care too much about how I look. That's entirely possible, but I feel like that's what a lot of the recruits are thinking about partially these days as well. Uh, so, you know, I'm just going to go with it. That's who I am. I care about the uniforms. It made the list. All right, but we'll start off with location. And this one's a little trickier than you might originally anticipate, right? So you want, obviously, uh, a location that's got a good talent base around it, right? So you're thinking... California, Texas, Florida, somewhere in the southeast, maybe somewhere in that Ohio, Pennsylvania area where they've got all that talent, some somewhere like that, right? But so and so that's fair. Well, let's narrow it down to those places. But the other thing you have to consider is, you know, if I'm a college kid, I probably want a warm weather campus. All right, so that kind of knocks out the Ohio, Pennsylvania area, and. I kind of want a nightlife and stuff to do. The problem there comes in, if the nightlife is too good, you're going to run into problems, you're going to run into distractions, can't be too good, right? So that crosses like Miami off the list. You know, I was considering Loyola Marymount because it's basically just right there on the ocean. Crosses that off the list because I think, A, you're pretty close to LA, that could be trouble, and B, you're right on the ocean, might be hard to focus. I feel like to be really good at football, there has to be a little bit of suffering. Uh, I just think that's part of a mindset you kind of have to go through. So that kind of leaves me narrowed down to either the Southeast or Texas. And I ended up landing on Austin, Texas, because you've got the talent base of Texas. You've got the nightlife of Austin, but it's not like Miami or somewhere like that where you're just begging for your guys to constantly be in trouble. So Austin, Texas won on the location all right so the next one i want to do is i'm going to go fan base next and you're going to get mad at me here but i'm going to go back to a texas school but not the university of texas i'm going to texas a&m and hear me out here they put a hundred thousand people 
basically into that stadium every single week. And they've have not won a national championship, I believe since 1938, where they claim they won a national championship, but most people don't acknowledge it. So they've basically been nationally irrelevant for 80 years, and they just don't care. And they keep coming back, they're incredibly rowdy, they have a lot of spirit, and I just really like it. Okay? For whatever reason, that's always stuck with me. If they are that good of fans without really anything to cheer about, now they've had their moment, Texas A&M, you know, you had the Johnny Manziel era, which was fun for about 15 minutes until he turned into Johnny Manziel. And then you had, uh, you know, you had a pretty good run in the late 90s there where you won the Big 12 title, knocking off uh, knocking off Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game. And let me tell you, I've always been appreciative for that, for that because that win by Texas A&M put Florida State into the national championship game. Now they lost because the greatest quarterback of all time, Chris Wanky, was injured, but... Still got Florida State into that national championship game, which I greatly appreciate. Um, so I'm going with the A&M fans because I think they've been really good fans for a really long time without that much to cheer about. If you give them something to, the, something to cheer about, I think they would go crazy. I do want to mention probably first runner up on that list is LSU. Those people really know how to party, really know how to tailgate, and just want to recognize that from them. Uh, but they've had a lot more success, especially recently, than Texas A&M. So they've got a reason to be happy. Texas A&M gets after it, and they don't even have that much reason uh, to be happy about things. So Texas A&M fans, you're moving to Austin to support this new Frankenstein football team that I'm putting together. Congratulations. Next up, I'm going to go with facilities. And for them, I am going to go LSU. LSU pours a ton of money into that team into that football program, and if you've seen, it's probably just because I saw the locker rooms recently, and they were incredible, you know, you've got the flat screens and everything, and state-of-the-art technology in the locker rooms, everything in there looks incredible, right? You could have picked a lot of teams for this, Alabama's obviously on the list, Oregon has incredible facilities, Um, you really could pick a a handful of teams, especially those uh, high, you know, those high-powered blue blood programs um, for this, but I felt like LSU, they got they got a little bit, you know, there was some controversy that they didn't get the best the best fan base award. Uh, so I'm going to give this one to LSU. I think they're really getting it done and uh, in terms of facilities and everything like that. So cannot complain about LSU for that pick. Next, I want to go with uniforms. And I mentioned this team just now. Uniforms, I am going to go with Oregon. And here's why. Not that I love all of their uniforms, although some of them are incredibly cool. What I love about their uniforms is two things. Number one, they have the resources and have given Nike the ability to design all sorts of different stuff, right? Some of it works, some of it doesn't, but they've been creative and they've been able to, uh, or and they've allowed Nike to uh, give them some things that are, are a lot less traditional and they're not they're not necessarily tied to a history where the fan base gets really cranky about uh, the uniforms getting changed. I'm talking to you, Nebraska fans. Um, so I, I really have liked what Oregon's been able to do with their uh, uniforms. The other thing that I like about Oregon is they're not so tied to their school colors. And I know that seems a little silly, but again, take Nebraska, for instance. 
people will freak out because if they come out with a black alternate uniform because they're saying, oh, black's not one of their colors. They're red and white. They're scarlet and cream. Black's not one of the colors. Okay, well, does black look cool? Can you use red and white and scarlet and cream and whatever for the accents? Sure you can. So let them wear some sweet white uniforms. What's the problem? Oregon has done all silver. They've done all black. They've done different combinations of white and silver. I like that they haven't been so tied to that green and yellow that they've let it affect their decisions in terms of having cool uniforms. All right, sometimes you just have to think outside the box a little bit, and that's what Oregon's done with the uniforms. Again, not all of them have been hits, but some of them are pretty cool. They've done the throwback uniforms as well, to those old school green ones with the with the big duck on the helmet. I love those. They've done a lot of really cool things, and they haven't they haven't put themselves in this box of, oh, we have to stick to a tradition. We have to stick to these colors that somebody picked out 200 years ago. They've done really cool things with their uniforms, so that's why Oregon wins that specific category. Last but not least, we have history. And this one's tough, okay? Because you have a lot of college football teams with incredible history. And when it all came down to it, we're talking about more than national titles. We're talking about more than, uh, you know, recent history. I came down to Notre Dame and Nebraska for the history. Okay. Nebraska's obviously got the five national titles, three in the nineties, two in the seventies, that incredible bowl streaks and, uh, nine game win streaks that stretched for number of years before they were broken in the two thousands. You, have just this incredible rich history from Bob Devaney to Tom Osborne to a bunch of other guys and then Scott Frost. There's actually a t-shirt in Nebraska that says that, which is funny uh, They <laughs> that they just kind of ignore the other coaches happened. But you've got a really rich history there. Now with Notre Dame, obviously you have, I'm not even really sure how many national titles because kind of, they're kind of like some of those SEC teams that claim bogus national titles when everybody was at war and like four people were playing football or there were like 15 different rating services and one of the 15 said, Hey, you're the national champion before they played their last game of the season. Um, which is, or so that's kind of bogus to me. So I I don't really count those. Um, so it's hard to say, it's hard to put a firm number on what Notre Dame has, but they have a lot, right? Needless to say. And you've got the iconic uniforms. You've got, the stadium. Now, Notre Dame was in the conversation for uniforms as well because despite their history, they've allowed Under Armour to do some really, really cool things with the gold helmets, which are shinier than ever, and I love it. Um, They've done some green jerseys. They've done some different white and and the navy jerseys. They've They've been a little more creative. They've stuck to their colors pretty closely, but they've been a little more creative. So they were in the conversation for best uniforms as well. But uh, I am going to have to go with Notre Dame on the history here. If for no other reason, because their history has allowed them to stay relevant despite a lot of struggles. And I think that can be an encouraging point for Nebraska, because if you look at what Notre Dame's gone through, they picked the wrong head coach a lot. Okay, you had Bob Davies. You had Tyrone Whittingham, Willingham, Whittingham, something like that, was the old Stanford coach, came in. You had Charlie Weiss, 
I think there was one between Charlie Weiss and uh, and Brian Kelly, but I'm blanking right now. Uh, but you've had three or four bad hires in a row. You finally hire the right guy. Brian Kelly gets you a national championship game. He gets you to a playoff. You know they haven't won the national title yet, but I think Notre Dame is much closer to being who they want to be than they have been in any time since Lou Holtz left the program. So you have to appreciate what Brian Kelly's been able to do there. And I think that's maybe a blueprint for what Nebraska needs to do. And just find the right guy. Is Scott Frost the right guy? Probably. Okay? So stick with it. Give it some time. You can survive when you're a power program like this with a ton of history on your side. You can survive bad, bad stretches of football and bad coaching for a long time and still come out the other side because you're a national brand, right? And Notre Dame, while they don't have the exact same recruiting restrictions that Nebraska does, they have similar ones because they're academic standards. They have a harder time qualifying as many guys as some of the other public schools do. So they face similar recruiting issues to Nebraska. You both have to recruit nationally to get the program, the uh, players that you want. And you, uh, you can't really rely on your own in-state talent either. Indiana doesn't have just a hotbed of a football talent. It might be a little more than Nebraska, but Nebraska lately has been kind of on the come up in terms of their high school football talent as well. So, uh, those are my category winners. So your Frankenstein football program is located in Austin, Texas. It has the fan base of Texas A&M. It's got the facilities of LSU, the uniforms of Oregon, and the history of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. That, my friends, is your Frankenstein football program. All right. I've got one last thing I want to get to on the other side of this break here. It probably belongs more in Meathead Monday, but I'm going to get it off my chest anyway uh, right after we hear from a sponsor. I want to give a quick shout out to Ryan Hines with the elite Nebraska team at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Ambassador Real Estate. I've known Ryan for a long time, and I know he will do everything he can to help you buy a new home or sell your current home or both. Just the other day, I wanted to see a house, so I sent Ryan a message, and he got me a showing less than 12 hours later. And I texted him at not a business hour. He was by his phone, got back to me right away, was very helpful. He will take great care of you. You can give Ryan Hines a call at 402-630-8916 or send him an email at ryan at elitenebraska.com. Again, that's 402-630-8916 or send him an email at ryan at elitenebraska.com for any of your real estate needs. All right, this last segment probably belongs on Meathead Monday, but I'm putting it here for a couple reasons. Number one, I just can't get it off. I got to get it off my chest. I can't wait until Monday to let you know how I'm feeling about this. So that's that's number one reason. Number two, um, and you'll understand this here in a little bit, I usually enjoy it on, on Meathead Mondays by, you know, my guy Jacob Heck or another friend. And if they were to chime in on this conversation, it would pro- it would become problematic pretty quickly. So uh, you'll understand that more in just a second here. Uh, now I want to address the elephant in the room, and that's a play on words, uh, because... I've been going to these West Omaha gyms for most of my most of my adult life, I'll say, and 
there's a fairly large Indian population in West Omaha, okay? For those of you that don't know, I'm half Indian. My father's from India. My mother's from the United States. And so I'm half 50% Indian. So this is why uh, the behavior of some Indian Americans here in West Omaha, and that's different than American Indians. Indian Americans are Indian people that moved to America. American Indians are Native Americans, which I don't think you're supposed to call them American Indians anymore. But if that's all confusing enough, uh, people from India that are living here in America, and uh, I've noticed a trend of behavior that's become troubling to me, going and seeing uh, my fellow Indian people at gyms. And that there's a few issues that I want to address here because when you do this, guys, it makes us all look bad, okay? So I need you to, I need you to tighten up a little bit and I need you to, to be better for everyone, all right? Number one, all right, we have, to, we have to stop with the sandals at the gym. That's unacceptable. That's not proper gym footwear. You can't do it anymore, okay? You can't. I'm sorry but it's not working get some tennis shoes get something just no more sandals at the gym it's not working and these aren't even like athletic sandals not that that would be that much better these are usually kind of those leather walking around sandals like knockoff doc martens basically looking things you gotta stop guys that's that's not working for me you're making us all look bad number two this one is also very much apparel related gotta stop wearing business clothes in the gym whether it's your polo your slacks i see a lot of jeans which isn't business attire necessarily but you can't be wearing the casual attire at the gym guys you you get some workout clothes all right you can get some at target it's not that expensive if money's an issue if it's not just buy whatever you like but you gotta stop with the polos and the jeans and the sandals at the gym, alright? I can't handle it anymore. I'm, it's not okay. It's not okay. Number three, and this is good advice for anybody that's new to the gym. And let me just say, anybody that's at the gym, good for you. I'm proud of you. I want you to keep going. I want you to keep improving yourself. Keep getting after it. That, that's This is not about that, alright? This is about certain... Indian people in the community making the rest of us look bad because you're wearing jeans and sandals and, and polos to the gym. All right, that's this is a different thing. But number three is kind of applicable not just to my Indian brethren but to other people as well. Is if you don't know what you're doing, ask for some help. Whether it's from a trainer, maybe most gyms give you that free complimentary session, or you know bring a friend with you that maybe knows what they're doing. Just ask somebody in the gym. Most people that go to gyms, most of us meatheads are very friendly. Just ask what's going on. Ask ask if you can get some help. If you don't know what's going on, find a way to figure out. Okay? Because number one, you're going to hurt yourself, which nobody wants. And number two, even if you're not going to hurt yourself, if you're doing shoulder presses with about a three-inch range of motion, that's really distracting. And I want you to get better. But if you're doing that, you're probably not going to get much better, all right? So either find somebody, bring somebody, or there's this wonderful thing called YouTube, 
that you can look up just about anything you need. You can you can use YouTube. You can Google things. Uh, I had no idea how to run a podcast uh, two months ago, and here I am. I might not be great at it, but I get the audio on the internet, and so technically that counts. Not saying you have to be perfect. You, you just got to try a little harder and get a little better, okay? That's what I'm asking for from you here. Do a little research. Ask a friend. Ask a stranger. Again, meatheads in general are very nice. But try and find one without their headphones on because that's kind of an indication they don't want to talk, all right? That's, those are the three big ones. The fourth one, I've noticed much less, okay? But it is still a problem. This is more guys in general, although I have seen my fellow Indians do this as well. Don't stare at people at the gym. Unless they're putting up just an unholy amount of weight. Somebody's benching 450 pounds. Somebody's deadlifting 600 pounds. I got caught staring at a guy because he was doing cleans with three plates. That was unbelievable. But I told him I was going to watch because I was like, hey, I, I, I gave him a heads up. That's the least I can do. Don't stare at people in the gym. It creeps them out. It's not okay. Don't be that guy. All right? I understand that you might be new there, but these are just some gym etiquette rules that I want to pass along to you. Okay? Especially those transgressions that are coming from my fellow Indian people. I need you to tighten up a little bit. Get a little better. We've got kind of a reputation for the sandals and the jeans and the polos at the gym. Let's be better than that. You can do it. I believe in you. All right. This has been Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula. You can please subscribe, rate, and review uh, on your podcast platform of choice. You can find us on Facebook, Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula, Twitter, at R.A. Lula, and on the website, RaviLulaRadio.com. And don't forget, if you enjoy the podcast, please go out and tell a friend. Oh, last thing before I go, I've got a couple big weeks coming up for you. Next week, me and Jacob Heck are going to do a huge NBA preview. And then in two weeks, I'm going to be putting out the podcast of me and my former college basketball teammates about what it was like to play for the worst college basketball team of all time at the lowest level of college basketball known to mankind. All right, so those are going to be two super fun podcasts that I hope you enjoy. I hope you enjoyed this one as well. And as always, thank you for your time, and we will talk to you soon.